Welcome to The Culture Coordinator, episode 11. I'm your host and founder of The Culture Coordinator, Kurt Earl. Today I'm rehashing, sort of redoing a talk I gave at a clinic about two weeks ago, and it's on using a system to install your culture and build momentum. It's about doing some things in the off-season to help you have great momentum and a great system for culture once the fall starts. You're going to love it. Hey guys, it's good to be back on the microphone and to actually get something produced and created and put out there for the Culture Coordinator podcast and some other things. Uh, it's been a bit of a hiatus for me because I've had a bad streak of luck with various things. I spilt a bunch of morning coffee type drink that I make on my laptop and fried it, which is unfortunate. It turned out to be a $900 uh, spill all over my laptop and then I've just been busy with some other things and you know how that can get especially in the spring as a teacher and coach and so just haven't had the opportunity to get on here and do things the way I would like to but I'm going to take some time today to go over a clinic talk that I just gave this last weekend at the Southeast Iowa uh, Coaches Clinic and a really great clinic an interesting one uh, because it's kind of at a resort location uh, where it's a, an, a resort with a main lodge and then there's some cabins you could rent as a staff and whatnot. And I just went with my wife, just the two of us kind of made a work slash date weekend out of it. Uh, but it was really good, fruitful, got some good things out of it and also was able to present on some of the things that, that I've been chewing on and some of the things that uh, I've been putting together and thinking about in terms of building culture. And so the title of my talk was Using a System to Install Your Culture and Build Momentum. And the your is in capital letters because it's a big part of what I believe in that I can <clears throat> hopefully teach you a lot of things and learn from you a lot of things about how to install and build a culture and build momentum. But it's, it's a generic template of sorts and it's your job as the culture coordinator at your place to fill in the gaps and do it the way uh, it needs to be done in your location where you're at. And so it's really big for me whenever I talk about installing culture or building culture or what culture is to emphasize that it's your culture that it's one that fits your program your situation your unique your unique circumstances so using a system to install your culture and build momentum and then the subtitle was build unity develop people and win games and as you know uh, you might know that's kind of the big tagline that i use whenever i talk about the culture coordinator this idea that we should be building uni unity, developing people, and winning games. And if you're not passionate about those three things, then you're missing the mark somewhere, at least in my opinion. And so that's the type of person that I think would benefit most from what we do uh, with the culture coordinator. I've referenced this many times before, but one of my favorite quotes about what culture is came to me a couple years ago in a tweet by Tim Ferriss. Uh, who I think has a lot of great ideas, don't agree with him on everything, uh, many things don't agree with him on, but a lot of things I do, and, and really interesting to follow him and see what he's up to and, and what he's learning. But here's this quote, and this was a tweet he had, as, and this is how he said it, as much as I dislike vague talk of quote-unquote company culture, I like this definition, what happens when people are left to their own devices? I think that's a really good definition because 
it's a great reminder that ultimately everywhere you go, and this is something that Brian Kite really brought to my mind when he was here to work with our team about a year ago, everywhere, ultimately, wherever you are, there are two cultures that are taking place. There is the culture of the leadership and the culture that the leadership is putting forth and presenting and teaching and preaching and trying to get everyone else to rally around. And then the second culture is the culture that's actually taking place when people are left to their own devices, like Tim Ferriss said in his tweet. And I think one of the things that you have to recognize as a culture coordinator is that it's your job to systematically bring those two cultures together as much as possible. And when I say bring them together, I mean you need to be living and acting and carrying out and teaching and preaching the culture that you want in your environment, in your program as a football coach or as another coach, because a lot of you aren't football coaches, but you need to be bringing the true, the, the, I should say the true culture, not the one that you're necessarily preaching and teaching. You need to be systematically bringing that true culture up to your standards. You do that by example, you do that by having systems in place, you do that by thoughtfully communicating and helping your people, your players, your parents, your coaches live out the culture that you want to be the standard. And so that's what I wanna talk about is uh, some ways in which you should be trying to bring these things together systematically. And when I say systematically, what I mean to imply is that Every year, there is a system of things that you're trying to do, an order of operations that you're trying to carry out, almost um, a, a, a sequence of things that you're doing to make sure that you are systematically bringing what you're teaching and preaching and the real culture together. And so as we think about that, one of the things that I want to point out, and this is something I picked up from James Clear, who I've recently become a big fan of, just recently introduced to him. He writes about all kinds of things in terms of goal setting, motivation, organization. Uh, I think he he does a tremendous job unpacking a lot of things. Very helpful, useful, uh, useful resource for uh, guys like us, coaches who got a lot to do, need to be efficient, but maybe have never been trained in some things because we got our degree in education, not in business systems, not in uh, psychology, although we have some ed psych in our background, most of us, um, but he's very helpful to me. And in light of this idea of creating systems, one of the things he says is that goals don't achieve success, systems do. And I wanted to expand on that because I think goals aren't as dangerous maybe as he thinks, uh, but I wanted to say people don't achieve success, systems do. And so you have to systematically put your culture into process. And here's some ways that he says that goals don't achieve success, systems do. And some ways that he thinks goals will leave you short, leave you empty-handed at one point or another, or eventually will leave you empty-handed. One of the things he says is that redult, or that goals, <laughs> goals actually reduce happiness. And what he means is that when you get very goal-oriented, when you get too focused on goals and not enough on the actions and behaviors and systems that are required to accomplish those goals, happiness or success or contentment always feels the next goal away or the next milestone away and that you're constantly in this pursuit mode. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing happiness, success, contentment assuming you've got healthy definitions of those words, there's nothing wrong with pursuing those things, but goals can sometimes make your life and endless pursuit a race to nowhere. And uh, in, that, in that way, a goal can leave you feeling a bit 
uh, empty inside. There's another way that he says goals can leave you empty or empty-handed, and that's that goals are at odds with long-term progress. And what I mean is that when you achieve a short-term goal, if you don't have the proper goals or milestones or systems in place to help you keep moving along, you can end up with sort of a, okay, we did that, now what? mentality. And I remember the first year I was in teaching and coaching, the school that I was at had a tremendously successful season for them. They had a, they had a talented senior group of players and some underclassmen to support that group well, and they were very excited about potentially potentially having a winning season. And this was in uh, 2007, I think, 2000, no, no, 2005. Uh, and it was maybe going to be the winning, first winning season since the Nixon administration. And the kids worked really hard. They got off to a very hot start because of uh, some good play and some unity and some excitement in the community. And they had they played some good teams, but no one too over the top great in those first games. Some really good wins they had, but nothing nothing over the top. And they ended up uh, in an eight game season achieving their fifth win. I think right away. I think they were five and zero oh, if I remember correctly. And I was part of the junior high staff, but not the varsity staff. And so I just kind of observed this from afar and. What happened was this now what mentality, this idea that sometimes goals are at, at odds with long-term progress because once they had that winning season, they had sort of achieved everything they'd set out for. And I think they got perhaps, I don't know, I wasn't on the inside, but perhaps they got stuck a little bit in the now what mentality. We've already done everything we want to do. And so having that goal actually um, stinted their long-term growth. Is stinted the right word? I think it is. <laughs> it actually caused them to not grow as much as they could if they'd been more focused on systems rather than simply goals. The third thing that James Clear says is that goals suggest you can control things that you have no control over. I'm big on this and believe in this for sure with goals that sometimes we set goals that ultimately we aren't able to control the variables around us. Um, quick example my sophomore year, I watched the high hurdle championship race in my state for the state championship. I believe the guy won it in 14.55, I think is what he wanted in, 14.55. And I told my coaches at that time that, you know, as a sophomore, that I wanted to win that state championship someday and that I was going to do whatever it took to be able to to win the state championship the next year. And actually, now that I think about it, I think it was 1458. And it wouldn't have been the next year. It would have been my senior year. Well, we got to my senior year. I'd worked my tail off. I'd done what, what I needed to do to be there. I was in the state final. And in the state final, I think two years earlier, it had been won in 1458. In the state final, I ran 1456, I believe, if I can remember that correctly. Those numbers are getting blurry as the years go by. I ran 1456. And so I had ran faster than the winning time two years ago, and there was just one problem. I wasn't first, second, third, fourth, or fifth. I was sixth place in a time that would have won it two years ago. Just so happens I was in a phenomenal year with a lot of talent. Um, a guy that would go on to be the American record holder, David Oliver from Denver East High School. You can look this up if you want. He was the American record holder about eight years later. Uh, he went on and, and ran like 12, whatever it was, 89 or something in the high hurdles, but he got third. He didn't even win. I mean, it was just kind of this weird year where there was a lot of talent. And what I mean to teach and, and uh, maybe help you understand by that is that I agree with James Clear when he says that if you get too focused on goals, you can get focused on things you can't control. 
there's nothing I could do about the fact that I was a senior in Colorado in the year 2000 and that there would be some obnoxiously high levels of talent in the high hurdles. I mean, we all went on to have really good small college or division one careers. Um, and so in the hurdles we did, you know, so, um, it was just kind of one of those deals, nothing I could do. And so I really, um, encourage people not to focus on goals so much, but to focus on, and, and those, that would be what I would call an achievement goal, achieving a state championship, but more on the behavior goals, the things that you can choose to do that almost nothing can stop you from short of freak illness or injury or disease or whatever it might be, uh, things, accidents beyond your control. But for the most part, you've got control over the ability to show up every day, to give 100% effort, to execute the finer details of technique and strategy as perfectly as you can. Like There's a lot you can control when you talk about behavior goals rather than achievement goals. So goals can reduce happiness, goals are at odds with long-term progress, and goals can suggest you can control things that you have no control over. So in light of that, James Clear has a great article, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, about how you should focus on systems because systems is how you really achieve the success you want. I'm going to get to how to systematically install your culture, but I want to set some things up. And the final thing I want to set up is that uh, actually, probably two final things I want to set up is this idea of making sure you don't get too lost in trying to define culture. I think I say this on this podcast about every other episode. It appears in a lot of the things I write uh, in the introduction because one of the things that I realized was so important, thanks to Brian Kite when he was out here with our team last May, was that if you keep asking yourself, what is culture? You're asking yourself the wrong question. And he encouraged me and all the other coaches in this session that were there to start asking a better question. And the better question is, what does culture do? And his answer was that culture drives the behaviors called for by your strategy for success. So a great culture helps people to do the things that are, are required and called for by your strategy, strategy for success when they are left to their own devices. So we've come full circle now, we're back to we're back to that Tim Ferriss tweet that reminds us that there's really two cultures, the one we're teaching and preaching and the one that actually happens when people are left to their own devices. And Brian Kite is saying, you've got a good, strong culture when your culture is driving the behaviors you want to have happening because your strategies call for those behaviors when no one is looking. And you put those ideas together and now you're beginning to understand what it is that you're trying to systematically uh, install and build. And when, when I talk about how you need to systematically install your culture. One more thing, and then we'll get into phase one of systematically installing your culture. One more thing to keep think about is that sometimes we try to make byproducts of our culture or products, even products of our culture, the culture, and they're not the culture. So what I mean is that we have, we, people might say things like, we have a culture where we have 100% effort, great attitudes, attention to detail, commitment, etc., etc. And I think it's important to recognize that those aren't your culture. Those are the products or the byproducts of your culture. Ultimately, the product is that you carry out and, and live out your definition of success for your program, which probably includes things on the scoreboard and things beyond the scoreboard. The byproducts would be great effort, great attitude, great attention to detail, great commitment, because those are the things it, it takes to actually be successful in the way you 
define success. So you just have to, as you think about systematically installing your culture, you can't get too caught up in the byproducts. You can't get too caught up in what is culture. You can't get too caught up in trying to make people feel good. You've got to get caught up in who are we? What are we trying to do? How do I rally people around that purpose and, and then go after it with everything we have so that we can really put together a culture that um, that drives the behaviors called for by our strategy and that those behaviors are carried out when people are left to their own devices. So, in my experience, according to what I've learned anecdotally, according to what I've read, according to how all the things I've been taught, I think phase one of systematically installing your culture is building trust. And I think I owe the, re the fact that this is now Number one to me, the thing that I must do year in and year out is rebuild trust, build trust with new players, rebuild trust with uh, old players. I shouldn't say rebuild, reinforce, build up even more trust with older players and their families. The reason this is number one is because I read Dan Coyle's book, The Culture Code, which, shameless plug, uh, you can buy a study guide made by a coach for coaches uh, for that book that I think is really helpful, will be really helpful for you. But I read that Culture Code book by Dan Daniel Coyle. And he his first step is not build trust. Uh, build trust is kind of a combination of the first two steps. But he pointed out that building trust is the first thing you need to do. And that according to what he's seen and observed as a journalist, as an investigator, as a researcher, is that the great organizations, and this is across all different types of organizations, but sports organizations were one of the ones he looked at the most, the great organizations build trust first. And that was important to me because I think in my um, first go around as a head coach here at Lincoln Christian a few years ago, as I was trying to build our culture uh, and as I was stepping up from being a, an assistant coach to a head coach, I tried to rally everyone around our purpose and build unity in ambition. And according to Coyle, he would say, no, you did that backwards. You should have built trust and then eventually got to building unity. And so here's some ways that I think you can build trust as phase number one. Um, phase number one of systematically installing a culture. First, you need to have preemptive communication. When I talk about preemptive communication, I mean to imply, I mean to recall in your head, you know, sort of that preemptive strike that you might hear in military lingo. Uh, this sort of getting ahead of the game with a strike that makes a statement. And of course, I don't mean this in a negative way. I don't mean you need to establish yourself as the authority and the dictator in the program. What I mean to say is that you need to communicate with your parents and players in very clear-cut, well-put-together communications. And when you do that, you need to be communicating in such a way that you're anticipating the questions they would have, that you are um, that you are thinking ahead and making sure you answer the things that are most important to them. Provide um, the, the support for your claims or the support for your encouraging them or asking them to do something before they think of it. We've all been in the middle of a really great book and been reading something and just as you have a thought, the next paragraph answers the questions you're having, or it completes the thought, or it somehow feels like that paragraph knew what you were thinking. And you need to do your best to communicate in those ways, to have preemptive communication. The second thing you need to do is you need to demonstrate some emotional intelligence. 
And this was a this is something I really had to work on because I'm such a black and white guy, hard nose. Just just why wouldn't you just show up and do your best? You know why do we have to have emotional intelligence? I'm not wired that way so much, but I'm I'm working very hard to grow in it. And I realized that one of the things that was really important to our families was that they could trust me and could feel connected to me, and that was really important to our players as well. And so one of the primary things I've done in terms of doing my best to show that I have emotional intelligence and to take uh, good care of each of these young men in terms of their social and emotional well-being is I have scheduled in-home visits with every family um, as much as I can throughout the off-season over the years that I have been the head coach. Now, we have a small team. In fact, I've only got, I think I only have 24 on the team next year. Um, we've had, uh, I think 30 is the most we've had. And so I can, hopefully, over the course of the offseason, going out to homes once a week or so, get to just about everybody every year. You probably aren't in that situation. Most of you coach a much bigger team. So I would encourage you, maybe you focus only on the freshman class and the senior class every year. And so maybe you're getting to everyone's home twice uh twice in their time with you as a football player or whatever it might be. Find, find ways to break it down. But I'll tell you what, you go to someone's home and you sit in their living room and you just say, hey, tell me about how you got to know each other. Maybe you're talking to the parents or tell me about how um, this family came to be, you know, um, because if you say it in sort of, sort of those terms, whatever, however that family unit came together, however it might look and whatever that home might be, uh, you can open the door for them to, to graciously uh, have an opportunity to say, oh, well, here's how things came together. Here's where we've been. Here's our journey. I've been floored by the way people have opened up to me and by the way that that changes my interactions with those players, whether it be on the field, off the field, in the hallway, whatever it might be. There's just something about visiting someone at their home, in their space, where you really uh, get to know each other on a level that carries over to the rest of your interactions. And so I would encourage you to make that a part of you building your um, trust. I want to step back and go back to preemptive communication a little bit. I forgot one thing I wanted to talk about. You know, one of the best things you can do is be uber organized and to one way or another have an easy to access calendar. In April, when we have our spring kickoff meeting, I give everybody a link uh, through various forms, email and other ways that it gets communicated to our Google calendar for our football season. And that link includes every spring workout. I'm sorry, we have that meeting in March, every spring workout in April and May, the, the summer workouts in June and July, and every practice should we make it all the way through to the state championship game. And it is as completed as possible uh, down to the hours and minutes in, in March. And I think that goes a long way in building trust. Like, hey, this guy is laying it out there for us so that we can know exactly what he wants from us. And that's a great preemptive strike, so to speak, of communication. And, uh, you know, some other things I might throw in there in terms of preemptive communication is use some sort of email um, third-party software like MailChimp um, that is free and that can help you put together really excellent emails. By the way, if you want to learn more about MailChimp, if you look that up or you know about it, and you want to learn more about how to use it, shoot me a, uh, a tweet at CultureCord or um, hit me up on email 
culturecoordinator14 at gmail.com and let me know. I've, I've thought for a long time that maybe a video showing how to use MailChimp might be helpful. If I get enough requests, that's definitely something I'd be interested in doing for you guys. But um, for now, I just am going to say to you, use something like MailChimp. It's extremely helpful. The next thing that you need to do, phase two. Okay, so phase one, you've built trust with preemptive communication and um, it demonstrating emotional intelligence. Phase two, in my opinion, is define your purpose. Now that you've got people trusting you and they can see that you're organized, that you care about them, that you're trying to do what's best not only for the program but for each individual that's a part of the program, now that you're there, you can be de begin to define your purpose. And I would say that there's two specific ways, I'm sorry, three, maybe two and a half uh, ways you should be um, defining your purpose. The first one, and this is the one that's kind of one and a half, you should be creating an ambition statement. You need an ambition statement, and that ambition statement must outline why your program exists, what your program does, and how your program does it. If you've listened to me very much at all, you know that I strive to provide the why, the what, and the how in everything that we do. And so I would just encourage you to take the, the idea of creating an ambition statement uh, very seriously and putting that together um, as well as you can, explaining your why, what, and how for your program. And so let me just give you our ambition statement. I think it's been said before, and um, it's got, um, you know, it's very much a Christian statement, but you can hear the why, what, and how. So Lincoln Christian Football exists to glorify God by providing a life-changing experience in which young men are prepared to be God's ambassadors to the world. Like that's something I've talked about on the podcast before, but there's a why, what, and how. Why do we exist to glorify God? What do we do? We provide a life-changing experience. Um, how does that play itself out? We prepare young men to be God's ambassadors to the world. I grew up going in Longmont, Colorado, went to Longmont High School, and so sometimes I use Longmont High School as my hypothetical examples. If I was coaching at that school, which is a big public school, kind of in a closet slash suburban community, here's what mine would probably be. Something like, oh, and by the way, our, our Longmont High Trojans, when I was a kid, won 45 games in a row. There's probably still a banner hanging up about that because it was a state record. Um, we had some rough years when I was a player, unfortunately, but they've, they've since had a lot of success and done some pretty amazing things. And so here's what I would write as our ambition statement if I took over for Longmont High, uh, like tomorrow, let's say. I'd say Longmont High School football exists to build upon the long tradition of Trojan football by providing a complete football program that builds better people, not just better players. Why do we exist? To build upon the, upon the long tradition of Trojan football. What do we do? We provide a complete program and what do we what, how do we do that we develop people not just players when you develop people not just players that's when hard work um, effort attitude attention to detail commitment those things are the byproducts of developing people but it's not what you are it's not your culture it's the byproducts of your culture so that kind of gets back to some things we talked about earlier along with that ambition statement i think those are important and, but, and I've said this before, but that's important mostly for um, guys like you and me who like to chew on those things, who like to put those words together because we know that we can rally people around them and draw people together with them. More importantly, I think, is your ambition story. And that's something that I've gotten a lot of questions about as I've shared that with more and more people. And basically, you just write up a pretend article. And I chose to write mine this year as if it were at the end of the last regular season game and almost as if maybe like our lady that's in charge of our 
uh, website at school and, and putting these sorts of things out there is interviewing me and the players. And she's writing the article um, from the perspective of it's been a great regular season. We've accomplished this or that or the other thing, and we're looking to, we're headed into the playoffs hoping to get a home seed in the morning when the official pairings come out, you know, that sort of thing. And in that, I used a lot of words and things um, to really help people see uh, I should, words and sentences and, and things to help paint a picture, I should say, of what it looks like to live out our ambition statement what happens at the end of the season and the things you get to look back upon when you are um, at the end of the year if everybody has come together and rallied around that ambition statement. And that really helps draw people in. The second part, or maybe the third part, you got ambition statement. One A is ambition statement. One B would be ambition story. And the second part, or the third thing we're talking about a little bit here, number two, in terms of defining your purpose, which is phase two of of systematically installing a culture is to define success. That's the, that's the next thing you gotta do, define success. And there's a couple things about success that I think I've probably mentioned before, but worth um, saying again. Define success is, means that you've got to um, see success, I think, um, in, in much the same way as you see a coin or a quarter. A quarter only has value in the marketplace if it's got the official imprinting on both sides of the quarter, both sides of that coin. If it doesn't have the imprinting on one of those sides, well, then technically it's not worth anything. It doesn't have what it takes to be worthy of value in our economy. And I think a definition, a healthy definition of success is like that too. On the one side of the coin is imprinted uh, the standard of being excellent, of striving to win. It it's, has more to do with the scoreboard and with playing at a high level than anything else. On the other side of the coin, is the development of people, building better young men, not just better football players. And I think that that's the other side that that uh, is important. And you need both. If you don't value both sides and if both aren't important to you, then you either don't care about developing people or you don't care about playing great football. And if you don't care about one of those two things, being a football coach or a culture coordinator probably isn't the gig for you. I often tell people if they aren't passionate about being good at football and developing people. They, they're not passionate about the football part. Maybe they should be a youth pastor. Maybe they should get into serving at the Boys and Girls Club or, or doing those sorts of things in their community, the United Way or other ways that you can get involved in developing people that don't involve football. You've got to have a passion for both and your definition of success should include that as well. The third and final thing that I would say you need to do when building, uh, or I'm sorry, installing your culture systematically is build unity and purpose and I think the biggest thing that we do that is a systematic step for us when it comes to building unity and purpose is the spring kickoff event and I talked a lot about hosting a spring kickoff event in an earlier episode and in the show notes for this I'll include a link to some resources um, that include some of our uh, what are the slides and things I used at our um, spring kickoff event but some of the main things that you need to make sure you outline for people is you need to count the cost for them. You need to make sure that you have helped them see uh, what rewards can be reaped from uh, your program. And you need to help them see that there is cost and there is reward. And what you're asking for them to do is to commit and get excited about the rewards because the rewards are a product of your purpose and your definition of success and your ambition statement and to be willing to pay the price. Uh, even after the cost has been clearly counted. And so when I talk about counting the cost, I'm talking about 
you know, how many spring workouts are there? How many days at camp in the summer are there? How many summer workouts? How many in-season practices, etc., etc. And one of the things I do to strongly unite all of us around our ambition statement, our ambition story, our definition of success is in that spring kickoff, I have our guys sign what we call a covenant. That's the word we like to use at Lincoln Christian. You could say agreement. You could say contract. You could you could call it a lot of things. I'm not a big fan of contract. That feels too business and uh, too not what it is. You could say letter of intent, just like they do for uh, the college level. But we have on one side of that letter of intent is all the things the coaches agree to provide for the players. And on behalf of the entire staff, I sign and date at the bottom. You flip that over to the other side, and it's all the things we expect the players to do and respond, how to make the most of the opportunities they've been given by the program and by the coaches, and then they sign and date it on behalf of themselves, of course, on the other side. And we, we have people take pictures. It's in our spring kickoff meeting, so our parents are there, our players are there. It's a big deal. If I did this at a school where we had you know 2,000 students and 150 guys on the team, I'd probably have to rethink how it gets structured, but it'd be a big deal. There'd be a lot of people in the room, and you'd be signing your name in a way that unifies us all together. I am signing my name to do what I promise, and you are signing your name to do what you promise. And so you, uh, together, we are united around the same common purpose because things have been clearly defined in that spring kickoff meeting, and the cost has been clearly counted, and the rewards have been clearly seen, what the rewards could be, and everybody's agreed, and it unites uh, in a powerful way. So those are some things that I think you can do uh, this offseason uh, as you go into the next uh, into next fall. Those are some things you can start and should start to do again and again every year once the season is over and you've closed it out with your end-of-the-year banquet. Those are some things you should be doing to build unity. Um, and, or I'm sorry, to, to install your, your system uh, or to systematically install your culture. Sorry, guys, stumbling over my own, my own words there. But to systematically install your culture. Uh, and build momentum. And it's important that you figure out what your definition of success is, what your ambition statement is, what your ambition story is going to sound like. It's important that you put together your own covenants or letters of intent and that you um, are really careful about how you word those things so that you are making it very clear what everyone is agreeing to and how you are uniting people around that, uh, around the common purpose and the common um, ambition. So again, the three phases of things that you can do to, inst- to have a systematic approach to installing your culture is you can build trust, and then you define purpose, and then you build unity around that purpose or that ambition. So I hope that's helpful to you guys. I hope that gives you some things to chew on. Again, check the show notes because I will uh, link to the resource file that I provided uh, for all the coaches uh, that were uh, at my talk at uh, Southeast Iowa Clinic, and I hope that uh, it was it was good for you to hear me kind of rehash it, and that you can get a lot out of it. As always, reach out to me, connect with me, um, help me know uh, what questions you have, how to better um, do what is helpful for you on this podcast, and how to make it even better so that we can all grow together and be uh, the best coaches, the best culture coordinators we can be. Thanks for your time, guys, and I hope this was a blessing. Thanks for your time, guys. I hope that my ideas on how to build a culture systematically and install your culture systematically were helpful to you. 
As always, I'd love it if you'd get on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a review and share it with your friends and help kind of spread the word about the things we're doing to help you guys as coaches, as the culture coordinators, build a stronger culture that not only breeds success, but helps you develop people, not just players. Thanks, guys. Thank you.